Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Simon, the CEO of Legal Desk. Simon, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It is a pleasure to have you and uh, always great to have, a, to have a, a guest coming from Copenhagen, a beautiful city that I visit uh, very often. And uh, yeah, but, but for the ones who didn't have the pleasure to get to know you, Simon, just a, a brief intro and, and the background and what has been your journey before starting uh, Legal Desk, uh, that would be amazing. Sure. Um, I have a background as a traditional lawyer in one of the major law firms here in Copenhagen. Uh, so I sat originally, went to law school and then got involved in one of the big law firms where I sat in the department for mergers and acquisitions and capital market law. So so mainly buying and selling companies and and, and the stock markets of regulating like the, the listed companies. Um and then I think pretty early on, probably you said like it was it was very like a a, a good journey in the sense that we, you learned a lot and you learned fast. So it's a very steep right. learning curve uh, being being at the law firm. But I also think I knew from a pretty early start that it, that was probably not going to be my my final destination of going for the the partner track and 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 all that. Uh, so I decided to go out and then uh, uh, pursue uh, an MBA. So I did first part of it in at a Isada Business School in Barcelona, Spain, and then I did the second part of it at Berkeley uh, Business School in uh, California, in San Francisco. Got it. Amazing. And after that, you. After that, it was actually it was actually a bit before going. I was with my my co-founder Anas, who's also like. Uh -huh. Very imaginative, also uh, a lawyer, different big law firm, yeah. but just uh, across across the channel in in down at the harbor of Copenhagen, uh -huh. sitting in the same department but at a, at a different law firm. Um, so we were kind of considering already talking like about like how this must be a way to do this easier because obviously we we're sitting with major clients, but we had a lot of friends who had like smaller businesses or starting up and and came to us with a lot of different questions. So so we started pretty. We started discussing like how how can we make this more accessible and stuff like that. So we actually built, uh, start building out uh, the the first kind of like version of the platform, uh, which was being that we 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 didn't go full time. So it's more of a hobby project to begin with, to be honest. Right. So it actually started us with us finding a a platform that we can kind of modify to this. So, so the original platform was actually a, a platform selling car batteries uh, that we found. Wow. And then we, we took some of our salary to, to kind of modify the platform because the, the basic thing was obviously we're not going to sell car batteries, but, but it was all about seeing at uh -huh. the basic structure, the, the architecture and, and so on. And, and the different options for apparently, I didn't know that, uh, but uh, apparently picking like the different features of a car battery, you had to go through a, a process that was not too too different from like doing different questions for a, a contract. It turns out, amazing, amazing story. And you you decided to apply uh, your skills and your knowledge already at the start of the company to acquire a platform uh, instead of developing your own platform from scratch. 
Yeah, luckily, like my co-founder Anas has all, all, always been very much into tech and stuff like that, uh, and I've been very much like interested. That's also why I pursued the MBA, but like the more strategy finance part of things. But again, it, it's always difficult when none of us are like natively programmers or anything to to this. So always that like really, you know, scary part of looking at like build a platform and then you have like a blank piece of paper and. Uh, right. So it's more also kind of like it, it was way easier for the two of us to kind of go in and then kind of say like we can use this, we can't use that and then kind of go from there and then have like uh, external consultants help us with like setting up the first version. Also because it had to be there's like some basic theses that hasn't been validated. We were out. This is again in what is this? This is in 15 or something like that. 14, 15. So, yep. so legal tech wasn't really a, a unknown like concept by then. Uh, so, so there's some basic concepts and, and thesis like would people, could you build it one and two would, would people actually buy it? So instead of kind of like building a, a rocket ship uh, without knowing too much, it was easier to and better uh, again by doing a fast model, doing pretty, pretty easy uh, products and then kind of validating those initial thesis that, that, you know, we could do it and people would buy it, which are the basic concepts of building a business you, you could argue <laughs> Exactly. So and at that time, you didn't raise any funds. So you were just investing your own money on, on that technology to start the company. So you decided after MBA to start the company together, correct? Actually, it was just the, before we launched it, the, the, the day after I had my last day at the, the law firm. Uh, so ah, okay. it, it was actually running consecutively with, with me doing my MBA. And, and while I was in, in Spain and moved to San Francisco, okay. then Anas, my co-founder, was actually like, he was on secondment to the European Court of uh, Patents. So so we kind of like moving around the world while I try to figure this thing out. Wow, um, remote first. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like, it was a hectic time, but it was, it was a fun experience in the sense also doing an MBA with a with a very newly started business I mean you had uh, I'm not gonna lie I had like a lot of oddly specific questions to to you know the the finance and accounting professors just during the time where we had to submit our annual report and and stuff like that so it was a good way to kind of combine those things um yeah. but then it was also like you know it we obviously I didn't make any money while studying for the MBA so we yeah. kind of spend some money from from the salary when we were lawyers and but then we had to be bootstrapped because there was no no money and, and for me no no salary either so oh, so we we had a operating profit uh, the first month i think it was roughly about nine 12 danish crowns which is equivalent to like one one and a half dollars so it's not there was not something to get rich off but but it was like it's a, it's a good learning in the sense that you know you you really know how to 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 navigate and manage your your ad spend and your OS and 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 all these things when you don't have money because if we if we spend more than we had then there was no marketing budget for next month so so it's it was quite easy in that way. And what I will add now is kind of the of of or the last stage or the last chapter is you raised the Series A uh, last year so. Now we need to, to tell the story in between, right? So yeah, uh, <laughs> how did you start? Kind of, uh, you 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 decided to leave the law firm to start the company, buy the the car batteries uh, platform, start the MBA, uh, your co-founder as well, uh, and then what has been that journey since two thousand fourteen uh, until now? Well, uh, I. I... 
I finished my MBA and then it was always a bit of like, you know, then, then there's a bit of a lot of recruitment going on. So it's also figuring out what do you want to do? Uh, you know, you, you talk to a lot of recruiters once you graduate, but I, I took the choice of like, I wanted to, uh, which again was a company that been formed, but like revenues were not impressive in any, any sort of way. So, and we, our profits were not really covering costs uh, and there's no salary and stuff like that but but i decided to go back and then uh, kind of focus on uh, on the company um so it's basically me in my living room uh, to begin with but then pretty pretty fast on we were actually uh, it's probably one of like the the worst kind of like uh, how to how to raise fund stories uh, but but it was actually because we we didn't, didn't really consider raising funds and then luckily there was a there's a startup event in Copenhagen uh, where there's quite a lot of big events for startups and, and they offered free food and free beer, which is always <laughs> uh, very, very attractive to when you're uh, early stage, like a startup founder with, with no money. Uh, and I had some, some friends working in uh, one of my childhood friends worked at a VC fund. So by accident, like having a few beers, I started talking to one of the, the partners from the VC fund and he's, started saying it sounds like a really good idea and I pretty much did a, a non-pitch in a sense of saying yeah but you know funding's probably not for us and stuff like that but he then like we like, are not interested at all <laughs> no yeah it was not like it, it was not the brightest kind of like approach to it uh but but then and luckily we, we kind of like but sometimes that that's the way it goes right so it's kind yeah. of the when we when we want so much a client and we show so much that we want that client or when we say we don't have time for you at the moment we are completely busy and it seems that the client then wants you desperately so it's, yeah i know it's like a perfect example of necking the only thing is like i would love to say that this was like really planned and i was just like being really smart about it but, but that would also be a lie it was it was purely like it was it was unintentional necking on my part in that sense but but it worked out in the sense that like they they convinced us to come in and and uh, and, and have a meeting um, and we didn't go out like they had like these uh, in Denmark. There's some of these like loans where then you have to match up. But but it was a really important and crucial meeting for us in our journey in the sense that it kind of like it being a lawyer. But I think also the personality type that both me and my co-founder are. We are not like you know the people who kind of going. This is going to be a billion billion dollar business right off the bat. So it was a pretty important kind of like kick in the behind uh, from saying like you should be more ambitious. Uh, and then we actually got like, like, what is that? Roughly close to a hundred thousand uh, US dollars. Um, mm -hmm. But part of the conditions were that we needed to find a matching investment uh, from business angles. Oh, so, cool. so that kind of like was the catalyst for the catalyst for us to, to start this whole thing that I've for no apparent reason we thought was never a thing for us mm -hmm. uh, so we went out and then luckily we found quite a bit of uh, business angle investors uh, and then that was kind of like the, the the ramp up to to there and then from there it went pretty fast with us going full-time getting our first employees and then kind of scaling up then we had investments for some of the big accounting firms uh investing into us and then as you mentioned like when then we reached last year in may we raised roughly about what was that uh, roughly around uh, uh, 3 million euros uh, in our mm -hmm. round? And we are now, what are we, 46, I think, uh, people uh, at the office wow. and, and operating in Denmark, Sweden, and just launched in, uh, launched in Norway. 
So, uh, so uh, uh, sometimes it's good that that someone else can give you a kick when you need it. <laughs> Great story. And and when was it? Uh, so you you have been in in the MBA 2014 2015. Uh, you started the company a little bit before that. And when did you have the, that first event? So in 2016 2017? Do you remember? That was in 15. In uh, just around Still like in 15. 15. Okay. So great story, and uh, and from then onwards, uh, you also raised uh, in terms of so you raised you raised that angel rounds and then seed and now Series A, or you also had another rounds in in between. Well, we had from the initial round, just like we 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 had the round from uh, seed, and then a couple of business angels came in. Then we had like a small bridge round, and then we went into our seed round, which right. was uh, led by PwC, the accounting firm. Um, and then we kind of like then we had like the whole COVID uh, experience uh, and and going through that Uh, but then we kind of like went into the A round uh, in in 2022 in in May where we raised like uh, the roughly 3 million million euros right but um, something interesting that I that I might see that some investors might have asked is you are two lawyers so there was no kind of technical uh, co-founder did you have any challenges uh, on that uh, in order to raise funds or sure i mean uh, also like just just being lawyers we're not like the typical uh, founders i mean if if we're engineers or we are graduates from business school or something like that people would probably be a bit more relaxed about it um but i think we're we're kind of odd lawyers in the sense that we we both became lawyers but we're not really i mean we we also and us really like it went into the, the the tech and we kind of like found a way to to build the team right. because pretty early on obviously we couldn't code but it was like also and again like the whole bootstrapping approach to it will teach you a lot of i think very useful things yeah. so it was we actually had like a, a guy that's now our head of, of development, uh, but pretty early on was as a consultant and then he helped us. But but again, we had to build an open backend because we couldn't afford having developers build all our products. Yeah. So, so it's more of a, how can we build a system so we can build our own products? Uh, so we wow. shouldn't be having like that cost. So so obviously there were some some concerns, especially about the, the, the if you're building a tech company and, and you have two lawyers and no, no technical uh, person and the good news is that you took the MBA and you got an understanding of business also the the kind of work that you were doing in MA uh, you also get to know uh, a lot about business and how to uh, do valuations and so on uh, but then it was kind of the technical arm that that uh, VCs want to see as well because the business background even not being uh business coming from a business background you got that knowledge right so in that sense it, it is possible to get then the technical side it's a little bit more difficult to get there but i see that you were also very curious and passionate about it and, and you were able to find that knowledge that you needed in order to keep moving forward and maybe that's that's the way you you guys have convinced the investors that you were the right team at that time right definitely and i mean i think also because it's it's a lot about also finding how do you know how do you approach things so they can also see again the 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 the, the scary part is always when you have a a product founder right if if we're both really into law and like only talked about like how how law functions but but having that also i mean i think it's very 
imperative when you do pitching as well that you have a a broad sense of approach like if you have like a pitch slide and 80 percent uh, of, of, of the pitch it's only about like the product or the problem and stuff like that and you don't have like how are we gonna have a how are we gonna go to market like what are the unit economics what is the market of right. like you know the size of the market so there's a lot of these things where obviously you also have a a possibility to kind of show that you you might not fit in that just square that that you you by title might look like you you'd be very limited in that sense but then it's also about obviously getting that that, that those competencies that you're missing so quite early on we 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 had like this this guy who's still now the head of uh, development but again finding those resources but but again also being a bootstrap company you know it's 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 also what's possible because it, it, it's it always say like you should hire everything you need and get those in, which is obviously correct. But there's also, you know, the, the how much money do you have to offer? So, I mean, I would, it, it's always a struggle to to find that practical approach right. where you get all the competence you need, but you you still have a bit of company left and, and money to, to actually work the company. Right. And, and as you said, you have now, 46 people, which is a very significant uh, size of the company already with, with operations both in Denmark and, and Sweden and opening uh, Norway. And even the, the numbers that you just shared about uh, the amount you raised for Series A, the 3 million, shows that you have been very capital efficient in your, in your growth. So uh, almost even raising capital, you have almost a bootstrapping uh, mindset while you were building the the company and even in your expansion uh, journey so typically a VC packet company would consider uh, how do we win uh, a larger market in in Europe like UK or uh, Germany or France or or, or even Spain uh, Italy would say the, the 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 big five, right? Usually, that uh, if you if you want to conquer Europe, if not, then other ones would would go maybe to to the US or go to the US as quickly as possible. You guys are going through a different uh, strategy. You are trying to become uh, uh, at least from from the markets you are telling me uh, a Nordics leader uh, or Scandinavian uh, leader in in the region uh, in in legal tech. Right? Definitely. Uh, and and I mean, obviously, also being that we are legal tech focusing on actually delivering legal services that are non-international. If it was GDPR, you know, it transcends Europe and you can kind of move right. into these things. But, but what, seeing that we actually help with both private law and also business law, starting a company, doing employment contracts, but also doing okay. national, that has an inherently kind of like national connection to it so so obviously we can't just google translate our products in denmark and then launch in in sweden or norway so so we need to have some sort of modification for it to to adjust it's, it's minor stuff but but still being that that if we wanted to be a vc case uh obviously we needed a product with a very where we could put on new products without bringing complexity we needed to like scale uh having an overall market that would be what i know like a, at least a couple of billion us dollars as addressable market right. and 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 so so there could be arguments made that you could still do that within our space but i think it's both like you need to have the metrics to kind of justify it so it's just saying like uh, because i mean vcs are gonna they need those unicorns to kind of modify right. for for the general loss of, of the the rest of the portfolio, 
Um, whereas also there's like a personal kind of a cultural psychological component to it. It's like you, you grow very fast with VC money, but also bringing up that cost structure that can be difficult at least to kind of like recover from if you don't get that ne next funding round. And I think there's a, both kind of like went into it that that obviously our model was not attractive to to the VCs. So 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 they didn't see it as a VC case. But I think it's also more suited to us that we coming out of like being a bootstrap, but also five, like building those business fundamentals and everything kind of was coherent. So we could grow not organically, but but still kind of like, you know, maximize our growth efforts, but not kind of spending too much money and just going 150 miles an hour. And then hoping there was a, another funding round uh, 12 to 18 months from now. Yeah, I think that that's a very healthy discussion, and that's why I'm uh, I'm asking this. We we can have different options in terms of scaling up a company, and of course, uh, it shows that you will also be able to grow a significant player by not raising too much too much money, and it will it will also be uh, a good return on, on investment on the investment that it was made. Uh, in your startup uh, if you didn't raise too much if you raise too much and then you don't go for a very big market then it becomes a problem uh, and of course the, the the kind of VC or the kind of um, uh, fund that you would be partnering with uh, is a little bit different according to your uh, mindset so I, I see that there was kind of twofold first your mindset you wanted much more to have a, a more sustainable venture as you were scaling up and second the way you saw the market going from market to market um, you didn't see too much a big opportunity to really make this super scalable and go to uh, to a big market right sure and it's also just like the, the the timing in it because a lot of it when you're building new stuff and obviously can be done and, and a lot of vc backed companies are doing but also having the time to kind of see what works and what doesn't work uh, so so i think it was obviously like the the, the vcs but and, and i think there was a very it was a, a good learning experience for us also for having those discussions internally but but having meeting with a lot of vc funds right. and, and i mean them also being like well if this needs to be attractive for us we need xyz and then kind of like having that internal discussion like can we and and will we kind of like do that because also with the dilution i mean you're going to be diluted faster but the risk yeah. also increases uh, and again the return both for the investors when it when it's the vc fund or the alternative kind of like portfolio investors yeah. you take in but also you yourself as a founder with like i mean once you've stepped on that kind of vc track you're on the train and and you know right. it, it's a very difficult for you to kind of like you you kind of take if not completely, but at least the, the, you could argue depending on the fund and where you are in the world and how aggressive the funds are, but but you're somewhat getting on the train and not sitting in the driver's seat to some extent at least. Exactly. And, and something interesting that you said, uh, PwC being an investor, it's much more a strategic uh, investor than a pure financial uh, VC, uh, which, which shows already kind of direction that you guys are going on, that you guys believe is the right fit. Uh, for you and vice versa right uh, so yeah definitely and and like point. all of them have like you know benefits and risks so, so it's not like i'm arguing that you know if you go the other way there's no risk because again like having an industrial investor creates value in certain opportunities but it also creates like you kind of close certain other doors so so i mean there's this that right. whole 
gamble. So again, and and also I'm I'm definitely not arguing that VC is is a bad track to take. I right. think it's just important to look at like your your business yeah. fundamentals, but also what kind of journey are you on? Because there's also like a lot of hype on the media and then stuff like that. It's very much focused on you have to be funded, whereas you have like you know pretty impressive. Other cases that have little or no funding, but more limited funding. Uh, and yep. again, it, it's all about putting the money in the company. You you rarely kind of do that comparison and see what came out of the company. Um, so, right. so so there's kind of like that dichotomy, dichotomy that, that's kind of, you know, you have to, it's like with when you forecast something and you say like, we believe it's going to be like this great and that's why we give you this much money. Like how did it actually end up? Uh, because it, it's rare that you hear if it doesn't work out. Right. Maybe just giving one step back to, to get better the context. So if, if you could uh, walk us through a little bit more, what is your ideal customer profile? Uh, what the product does at Legal Desk? I think it will be also helpful for the audience to, to relate better to our conversation, right? Sure. Um, we have a very kind of like stringent focus on the bottom of the market uh, because that's where we see the the, the value, but also the, the potential for an automated platform. Legal tech obviously is a, like an umbrella term that can be, a lot of stuff can be fitted into it. Um, and there's also like, when do you offer automated services? When do you offer tech assisted consultancy services? Uh, some of the big ones that unfortunately went belly up in the US, but like HM and, and, and those where you kind of build the software, but you still have consultants working. Mm -hmm. We did like a, a pretty decisive focus on a say, we want to do automation only uh, because we think that both in terms of having that in, uh, like internal conflict of interest. If we hire that, we see some competitors where you also have, you know, you have the lawyers internally, you do a two-sided platform, but also people where you hire the consultants internally. There can at least be in, in our field, if you have competing services where you have consultancy with a higher price tag on them and then automation services, Obviously, if they are in conflict, I am I'm having the the the, the expenses and the, the headcount cost anyway. So I'm trying to move people over to to kind of like cover my my uh, my employee cost. Uh, so so we we did like there's a lot of and then we will focus less on actually the the automation part, and then we also think that for a lot of these services being the bottom of the market, I mean we 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 provide like if you want to start a company, you want to hire your first employee all these things for the SME market. Like if you want to do an IPO or buy or sell your company for like several million uh, dollars, mm -hmm. there's tons of lawyers that are perfect for that. But our vision is more to be the corporate counsel for all those companies that can't afford a corporate counsel. Um, Great vision. Yeah. So, so both in, in the business setting, but also in, in the private setting. Uh, so, so that means it's all automated uh, within our company. We kind of like, uh, so so we have no human interaction in that sense. So that's building both like the, the, the products, but also the infrastructure to kind of automate if you want to register things. So it's least uh, amount possible people are interacting with our customers. And then we're just launching now. I just launched um, where we call predictive engine. That's when you put like engineers and lawyers together and there's no nobody from marketing mm -hmm. involved. So we're finding a better word for it. But it's basically where we used the customer's behavior along with public data, especially in Scandinavia, public data is pretty readily available for businesses. And then we can also predict uh, what your legal needs are going to be. So, so it's 
basically following that vision of being that corporate council. So that means we're partnering up with some of the big insurance companies and pension funds and you know accountants and stuff like that. So we can be that automated like platform that kind of taps you on the shoulders. Like when you're hiring two new people, we provide you with you know, prior to you with, with the employment contract, but we also check in that have you notified the insurance company that you need extra coverage for these? Are they taking sure of in terms of salary payment and stuff like that? So it's about building that whole kind of corporate council feel to it uh, for for the SMEs. Uh, because again, it's a lot harder to sell to the big ones, but all major companies, if you're over like roughly 50 to, to, to 75 employees, you tend to have a, start having a lawyer in-house. Right. And that's when also like we don't really make sense for them, but also uh, in, in Scandinavia, like 99.6% of all companies are in the SME segment. So, so again, that's a huge volume, but they're very difficult because it's such a fragmented market. So it's difficult to kind of like, how do you not only reach them to, 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 to provide right. some sort of like valuable uh, value proposition that's appealing, yeah. but also how do you organize it? Because the transaction value is not going to be huge necessarily for each transaction. So you need to have a hook on how do they come back and sell more. And also with all the compliance coming in with GDPR, AML and stuff like that. So how do you actually automate that to, to make a, an efficient use of a huge but fragmented market? Right. That, that's an amazing uh, vision and, and the way you thought about where are gaps in the market and where technology uh, can really play a role uh, in democratizing access to legal tech uh, solutions and where they can serve the best uh, the small uh, the SME um, segments. And in terms of your vision for the future, is, is it regional uh, expansion across the Nordics? Uh, do you have any any other plans for the future? Uh... Sure, uh, there, there's uh, pl plenty of plans uh, going <laughs> to the future. Um, I mean, right now we, we're still pretty new. We're more or less like the dominant player in in Denmark. We're the biggest like creator of companies in Denmark and, and stuff like that. We roughly have like one fifth to one quarter of the market uh, in, in certain segments of our products. Um, so, so, so Sweden is still somewhat new and, and, and Norway is very new. So the focus is on obviously like growing and scaling the business is, is obviously very difficult. It brings a lot of new complexity, both to the organization, but also how you work and, and all these things. So, so right now, again, not being a VC funded company, it's it, the, the, the focus for us is kind of going like, how do we maintain our growth in Denmark and be more, even more consolidated as the market leader within our different product segments, but then also getting a firm grip of the new markets and then it might be that we're moving into a, a fourth market but again we rather want to make sure that like the whole scaling expansion also learning what works what doesn't work both externally in terms of the different markets they might act differently but also our organization so so there's like kind of like the next year or two focus is on actually you know grasping those new markets the complexity and then we look at that because then we also probably going to have a more fine-tuned playbook to, to go into right. to the fourth market, but it takes time to, to also kind of make the mistakes you need to, to make, but also like document the successes you have and, and then kind of fine tune that playbook uh, to, to yeah. go into the new market. I find it, uh, your plan sounds amazing to me, but uh, I find it interesting that you don't consider yourself a VC packet uh, business, even if you have raised uh, funds. Uh, which which shows the the bootstrapping mindset that that you have uh, in your mind, 
Uh, and something that we also discussed when when we prepared this this episode that uh, it's a pity that we don't have more funding options. So we need we need to go for a loan, which is not the ideal uh, way to to start and uh, and scale a company in in this category. Or we need to go really really big or go on with the VC approach. So there is a lack of for instance, capital markets or a growth stock exchange that would create another options to, to grow companies or to fund the growth uh, of companies. What, what are your thoughts about it? Uh, I know that you, you have uh, your own thoughts about it. Sure. And, and again, like I think I totally agree. I mean, my, my belief is that, I mean, I, I totally get the VC market. So, so again, but right now we have the VC market that's been booming and again, going for unicorns. And then you have like the business angels that will kind of do, but we had that, that's more early stage pre-seed. But then we have this gap in the middle where people like us, for instance, won't fit into the VC, but but you can still kind of going. Give a pretty pretty, interesting business, right? Yeah. And, and again, like it, it's, again, it, it's, it's the whole risk and return, right? There, there's just like in Wall Street Journal, Harvard professor went out and saying like, like I think it was last year, they did a survey that 75% of the, like the, the, the VC backed companies in the US and those are scale ups. So they're later stage where risk should be somewhat lower than if you're like more pre-seed 75% of them don't give money back. Uh, and and of that segment, thirty to forty percent lose more or less all their money on it. So obviously, it's a different profile, portfolio profile, exactly. where you need a lot, a lot higher. You need those unicorns to make up for those losses. That makes sense. Yep. But again, there's also when people talk about the mid market, and again, I think there's there's kind of like three different stakeholders that's kind of important in that sense. Uh, if you look at the mid market, there's like this for the founders. Uh, I mean, obviously, we the, the, the thing that either you're a unicorn or you just grow organically, that's the only two options is, is not really true. Right. I mean, there's a lot of things where you have a solid business, but you need working capital to expand or develop new product portfolio. So whatever the case may be, but there's definitely need for founders to both grow their business, but also do it in a manner that's not a VC track in that sense, but also yeah. you, you create that return. Then there's for the investors where you can also definitely argue that you, you might not get a, like a, a 10, 20, 30, 40 X exit. But again, the risk is also accordingly so much lower because if you already proven that you can be profitable or whatever, and you kind of put that into your plan also, because it's also about like, what is the exit plan when you invest? Is that to do uh, again, like, I think it was, that was from 16, but it's, I think it's 53% of all the tech like uh, exits, they were less than 50 million US dollars. Right. And that was before COVID and 2021, where we had a huge spike, but also it, it still kind of comes into when you see a lot of the, the, the data, like who are you exiting to and what is your exit strategy? Is it an IPO yeah. or is it an industrial acquisition? And, and you know right. that most likely you're being acquired by an industrial player yeah. and roughly around or below 50 million US dollars. So then it's about if, if that's what you're going for, because that's too small for the VC market, traditionally speaking. But if you right. want to go for that, then it makes sense because you're going to have a wider portfolio because few of them are going to be going belly up because this might be a slower growth, but you're going to have like a, a, a lower risk, but also lower exit multiple. And the last part is obviously then also the, the general societal part of where it kind of goes that especially you'll see if you, if you look, one thing is like once you start being a big company, 
at least if you look in the Nordics, they tend not to stay in the Nordics because like the capital markets in, in the Nordics can't kind of necessarily hold them. So, so it, it's not uncommon. You see major companies then moving to, if not the US, usually into California, but then at least, you know, London or somewhere else where they have the capital markets to do it. So you lose those companies, whereas the regional players would stay in that market. And, and then also seeing that again, for, for the societal perspective of, of creating jobs and, and maintaining the businesses, the regional players, the regional winners are going to stay there. And those, again, for, for Scandinavia, at least, that's 99.4 or something like that, of, or, or three of the jobs created in Scandinavia are by, by SMEs. So, so it also has that societal kind of perspective to it. Great insights. What a, what a, what a great overview uh, about what needs to be done in order to retain uh, and, and help the, the regional leaders. Uh, and, and the national leaders as well that are the ones who, who, who create growth and who, who create also uh, new jobs. Good point. And, and that's why I, I, I start to see also some people from VC looking to, for instance, the, the search uh, funds or the entrepreneurship through acquisition, which is also something that, um, that MBAs are also pursuing nowadays, which again, it, it's still a risky uh, asset class but but not so risky as the vc uh, asset class because you you will buy a small mid-sized business and then you want to scale that business uh, but in a in a much less uh, aggressive growth rate uh, as we would see in in vc and it's interesting to see that we are seeing more mba students and even vc people starting to consider the the search market it's still quite new in Europe, much more advanced in, in the US, but, but we start seeing the, the first players in that market. We need to cover uh, that topic on the show uh, as well. Great points. Any any other thoughts that you'd like to, to, to share in terms of your lessons learned with Legal Desk until now, before we go to, to the last segment of the show, uh, Simon? Um, no, I think we, we covered pretty much went, went well around like the different areas. Exactly. So let's go to the last segment of the show where we kind of do a ping pong of quick questions and answers. Uh, if you would have the opportunity to have a coffee with Simon at the beginning of Legal Desk in 2014, what advice would you offer to your younger self? Um, it's a good question. Um, I think I'll, I'll have a ton of practical, like, insights to give to myself of all the mistakes you made along the way. But I, I think overall, probably it would be also just to, I think at least I have, which I think is also pretty common that you kind of going like that next milestone. So you keep going, like everything will change after that next inflection point, whether that be a funding round or a certain revenue target and stuff like that. So also just to kind of like, remember to enjoy the journey uh, because you have a tendency one to be extremely naive in a sense that everything will change once we reach that next stage and all will be perfect and bliss to some extent. And then the new problems uh, arise, but also seeing that it's part of part of the journey. Uh, and, and that's actually, that's why how you learn. Uh, and, and usually, unfortunately, the, the way you learn the best is through obstacles and challenges, where successes exactly. also have a learning value, but but not to the same extent as when, when something goes, goes wrong. And, and next year, it will be... 10 years of, of this journey, which is uh, quite amazing. So I, I'm just doing 10 years uh, last, I just did 10 years last January 
uh, of starting Skill Up Valley. So a lot to tell to your younger selves, right? <laughs> yeah. So what are you the most proud of on your journey so far, Simon? Um, that's a good question also. I think, I mean, there's obviously like building the whole kind of company when you see it from a business perspective, but I think actually it's more of seeing the, like if you look internally at the company, because obviously you cannot grow the company, especially if you're doing it the way we're doing it without having good fundamentals, business fundamentals. But I think it's, it's I always kind of like look at it also building that organization. Uh, so just seeing yeah. like the, the, the more you grow, the less important you are in a sense that, you know, you start that culture when you, when you commence. And now when you were like, when the two founders were 50% of the company, we could really mold and like influence the, 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 the culture and stuff like that. Right. And now we're, I don't know, but we're probably less, less than, than, than 5% uh, of the company. So obviously how we behave and stuff like that has a signal value, but we, there's a lot of stuff going on. We don't know. And how the, the whole culture moves. So I think it's very much of seeing like the way the business operates internally. Uh, and that's mainly talking about the people, the organization, both in a professional manner, but also as a as a workplace in terms of like the work culture and like the collaboration and the ideas of like we have a very strict focus on saying like we don't we 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 want to base it on merit and not on like you know what title you have. Mm-hmm. So it's so also seeing everyone contribute from like very senior people to students coming up with ideas for like small improvements here and there. Uh, I think it's, it's probably one of the biggest parts. Love it. Worst advice ever received? It. Um, it's been a few. Uh, <laughs> no, but I think it was actually when, when talking to, especially in, in the early days when we talked to, to investors and business angels, there's a lot of like interesting people coming forward, but also some, some, bigger ones and more known ones in Denmark, but uh, there's also one that we kind of pitched this whole thing of um, how to automate legal and how it would change how legal services would be consumed and distributed and and stuff like that. And then one of like the main advices to this uh, pretty pretty big business angel uh, offered like we could also like do like a traffic light on the website and then we could sell like, you know, services on an hourly basis uh, and then hire consultants. <laughs> so he was basically trying to pivot us back to being a law firm just with like somehow integrating traffic lights on our website. Uh, which <laughs> really understood, but but uh, yeah, that's probably like at least a, if not a stupid advice then a, a, a pretty significant misalignment on, on vision uh, for the company. <laughs> great, great one. And, and finally, the resources, uh, your favorite book, business or non-business? Um, I think that's also changing quite a lot over the journey. So, so it's difficult to kind of pin one down, uh, because again, like your, your challenges and the stuff you need to become better at is a lot, obviously all the time, but it also changes the focus from like, how does marketing or finance work to how to become a better leader? How do I build strategies and stuff like that? So it changes, but I think probably like one of the fundamentals from a pretty early start uh, is Eric Rice with the Lean Startup. It's not very original, yeah. but, but I've always been very big fan of like the whole approaching business more as a natural science than, uh, you know, having gone to business school and then having gut feelings, but but kind of build those, what are the theses, what are we testing, what works, what doesn't work and, and stuff like that. Exactly. Favorite movie or series? Um. 
probably also very unoriginal, but uh, I mean, especially being within uh, entrepreneurship, I, I do enjoy Silicon Valley uh, with all the stereotypes right. that uh, I, several of them I have have met in real life. I think when we were sitting having meetings with both the investor <laughs> side, but also, uh, you know, various uh, profiles and, and you can also see a bit of yourself in there. Exactly. It's, it's good to be back to basics and to and to review revisit uh, those original ones uh, I think it's always good to to go there from time to time so we don't forget favorite podcast excluding this one um probably uh Stephen Bartlett's uh, the diary of a CEO, the CEO. Uh, because I think that he has a lot of like it's it's very broad spectred there's a lot of like from top athletes to to business people to psychologists and and he's a good interviewer and and kind of attacks a very broad spectrum of of uh, interesting topics amazing great suggestions simon thanks so much for making the time it has been a pleasure to have you on the show thank you so much for having me and to our community thanks for being there uh, we keep here making your life a little bit easier as you scale up your company see you soon and keep scaling 